0: Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. Gonna mulch it deep and low, gonna make it fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row, please bless these seeds I sow. Please keep them safe below till the rains come tumbling
1: down. Hello, K Squid listeners. It's every other Sunday again, and you're listening to Sustainability Now, a biweekly K Squid radio show focused on environment, sustainability, and social justice in the Monterey Bay region, California, and the world. I'm your host, Ronnie Lipschitz. Many of our listeners cultivate their own gardens. But amidst the hurly-burly of daily life, gardens sometimes take second place to other needs. If you have procrastinated or have been too busy to sow your seeds, it's not too late to plant in July and harvest in October. That's what we're going to talk about today. My guest is Renee Shepard, owner of Renee's Garden and seed entrepreneur extraordinaire. And she is going to tell you what can be sown now to be ripe and ready in late summer and fall, and also cover topics such as heirloom, heritage, and hybrid seeds, and tell us where the seeds for your garden come from and how she gets them and distributes them. Renee Shepard, welcome to Sustainability Now.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure to meet with you.
1: So why don't we start with some, some background uh, on how you got into this business. and uh, doing research for today's show, and I should add that I know nothing about the seed business, unlike other topics that we've had on the show. I read that soccer got you into the seed business. So when and how did that happen? And were you already a gardener when it happened?
2: Oh, yes. Well, I guess you could say soccer got me into the business. Um, My grandmother was a great gardener, and I spent Saturdays often with her, and really enjoyed eating fresh food from the garden that she made me and we picked so that was a really strong memory and then I started a garden when I moved to California um, but it wasn't that great and I was a graduate student at UCSC and we used to invite all the graduate students over for pickup soccer games uh, on Sundays and the European students this is in the 80s a thousand years ago And they were the ones who really knew how to play soccer because it wasn't that popular in the States. So we always used to invite all the Europeans we could. And I became very good friends with a Dutch couple. And he was here um, to sell um, lettuce seeds to all the growers in Salinas. We became good friends and he saw my garden. He said, well, these varieties are fine, but how about some really good tasting varieties? Because in Europe, most people shop for fresh produce almost two three times a week and we breed more for flavor than what i'm seeing growing in the farms here. Mm-hmm. And of course i said yes i'd be delighted to try them. And then so i tried some french tomatoes and dutch lettuce and then i got the idea if i like them then anybody else who had a garden would, would probably like them just as much. So that's how i got into the seed business.
1: Well that of course tells us what was the impetus but what did you do then?
2: Well i was uh I was, had got my PhD from UCSC in, in the history of consciousness, which was a, and still is an interdisciplinary program. And I was teaching wherever I could pick up a job as an instructor, which has no real future because you, right. you're not in a tenure track. So I decided, why not uh, try and start a business about which I knew nothing? So I called up some other people in the seed trade, and they were most kind and helpful in giving me some ideas And then my friend, Kay Spoonman, who is still one of my best friends, who I got the original um, seeds from, said, why don't you just start a catalog? You can write well. You've proven that. And I'll help you with the seeds. So I got a second mortgage on my house and did it.
1: You started, so you started writing a catalog and you imported the seeds. Is that how that worked?
2: That's right. I, um, Wrote a print seed catalog called Shepherd's Garden Seed. This is back in the late 80s. Uh, we got the seed varieties from many places, United States, largely Europe, because we focused on only the European varieties. And then a little later, it was successful, and I started to sell flowers, and I got a lot of help and advice from the UCSC Farm and Garden and from Camp Joy, which is an organic uh, farm up in Boulder Creek. And then I started traveling and meeting people in the seed business, um, and it was just very good timing because people were getting very interested in food, and uh, right, right. I was really selling seeds for varieties that tasted great.
1: Huh. Um, I, I have. I do have a question. Did you have any trouble importing the seeds with you know custom regulations or anything like that?
2: Uh, no, the seed trade is a very international business. If you if you go to the store and look at a seed rack, you're seeing seeds from probably 60 or 80 countries because uh-huh. seeds are grown where they grow well. And every seed comes with a phytosanitary certificate identifying its uh-huh. origin and showing a lab test. There is a lot of USDA bureaucracy involved, but it's very it's manageable.
1: OK, no, that that, that I get the uh, the phytosanitary certification certification. Um, I know that I know that sometimes people try to carry seeds across borders, uh, which is apparently not legal um, because governments are afraid of, of uh, I guess, invasive species. I'm not quite sure. Anyhow, uh,
2: uh, pests and diseases and invasive species, with pretty good reason. It seems per, totally unfair that you can't bring a couple backets from here or there, but uh, you know, it's probably the right intention anyway.
1: Yeah. So I read and when I was doing the research, I read that Alan Chadwick was an important influence on you. Um, and why don't you tell us how that was, how, how he influenced you?
2: Would you want to say something about who he was?
1: Well, why don't you tell us who he was?
2: Well, Alan Chadwick was a tremendously interesting and wise man who started a garden here and in several other places at the Zen Center up in San Francisco and a few other places. And he was an early advocate of organic gardening and gardening by the seasons. I did not know Alan directly, but a lot of the people I worked with were very influenced by him. And he's one of the progenitors of the whole organic movement in the United States. So you could not live in Santa Cruz when he was around without being influenced by him. And most people who helped me uh, knew and revered him.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, I remember he wasn't the founder, I think, of what became the Chadwick Garden on campus, but he came, yes, with, he, he came, he did, he did, he was? Yes, he, did. he
2: was brought here by the original provost, um, Paige Smith, to start a garden.
1: Uh, okay, okay, that's right. Um, on that very unimpressive piece of land just below Merrill College, right? Um, well, or was it great. elsewhere? Yeah. Uh,
2: it's, it started out as the garden by Merrill, and it was. Unbelievably wonderful garden. A lot of people became gardeners and went into the area of farming and food because he was an incredibly inspiring and charismatic person. They don't make them. They you know come or, just a few come around in each generation. He influenced mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of people who I respect and revere.
1: Yeah, our listeners should know that the garden is still up there and. Um... Uh, it probably has has regular open hours but it's quite an impressive site um did you did you ever work did you work in the garden or maybe on the farm neither neither okay so so it was he was an influence without you being sort of uh initiated into gardening there um do you have a philosophy of gardening
2: well you know i'm not sure what you asked you gave me these questions in advance, but I'm not so sure what you mean by a philosophy of gardening. Um, I'm an organic gardener. I use organic techniques and have done so in our trials for, for many, many years uh, with all that that implies. I am interested in finding varieties that are easily to grow easy to grow for most people in their backyard, but widely adopted. And that the vegetables taste are are chosen for ease of cultivation and because they are really good to cook with Mm -hmm. and for flowers, for ordinary flowers, but in all their forms and colors. I'm interested in the stories of seeds because seeds are closely tied to human history. So it's really a fun business to be in because you hear about uh, stories and how people use things and where things come from. And there's always tales and stories to it. That's what's really fun.
1: Well, by, by philosophy, I meant, you know, some people plant gardens for, oh, I don't know, transcendent purposes and others just to grow food. It, you mentioned the history of seeds. Uh, do you see yourself as being in the sort of business of, of propagating seeds through history or something like that?
2: Well, gardening is something that ties everybody together because we all do have to eat and, mm-hmm. uh, Food is a subject of endless interest to everybody. So it's a common ground for every culture. And you can learn a lot about people and have something in common with them if you talk about food and you eat together. So I think it's a unifying principle for for anybody from anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things that interests me. Um, about it, so I don't think just growing that. Ve- I do just grow vegetables, but through that, um, I've learned an awful lot about a lot of things and a lot of people.
1: Um, you know, he, he, I, I wanted to ask another question about history, and 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 that is, have you ever thought about how people discovered that you know you could plant seeds and grow food?
2: Well, i I think that was probably a long gradual process um, because it's not too hard to figure out that a seed grows into a plant because they do it before your eyes
1: yeah but I've always I've always been sort of uh, mesmerized by this idea that you know hunter gatherers were going around collecting various kinds of wild seeds and somebody noticed that when they fell on the ground they started to grow and and said oh well we could do that too Um, of course I'm projecting backwards.
2: Uh, Well, I think the one that more, more I think the questions that get me is how did anybody figure out that you could eat an olive?
1: (laughs) Yes, there are many, there are many things that that, uh, uh, raise that kind of question, aren't there? Um, So going back to your seed company, uh, what happened to it with it?
2: Well, I started shepherd. It was called shepherd garden seed. It grew very mm-hmm. large. Um, in the end, we were circulating 17 million catalogs a year wow. that was in the heyday of catalogs and yeah. it branched out and we started selling, you know, we sold a lot of flowers. So we got into vases and flower food and baskets and so on. And, uh, I sold it to a very large nursery Becky's who had, uh, All the fulfillment, in other words, the wherewithal to pack and ship orders in a huge warehouse where I didn't have that. And so I did all the choice of the varieties and all the customer service and so on. And they did all the filling and shipping of orders. That was a good arrangement, but it kept getting bigger. And I left because I wanted to stay closer to the to the seeds Um, Uh turning into a general catalog. We were sending people to, you know, to Italy to design tableware and so on and I left and so I then I started pretty quickly the company Renee's Garden which was to sell seeds not only to direct to home gardeners in a print catalog um, but to sell to garden centers and nurseries the kind of premium seeds we were selling uh, so the garden centers could have something a little more special as well. Renee's Garden has never had a print catalog we've always been entirely online.
1: Yeah. I was going to ask about that. How did you, uh, how did you figure that one out?
2: Well, we had a website really early, like 1996 or 97. Mm-hmm. I was the virtue of the web for people in my business and see businesses. You can add things, you can subtract things, you can tell the stories, you can put a lot of photographs, you can be interactive with customers. I think it's a wonderful way, uh, to, uh, Join in a community with your customers. I've, I've enjoyed it a lot and put things up, take things down. And now with YouTube, we can show how we do things. I've you know, been on the web. Our website for Renee started in 1997,
1: early. Yeah, that's, uh, that isn't early. Before, before lots of people had access to the internet, actually. Are most or all of your customers home gardeners?
2: Yes, we are exclusively. For home gardeners, we don't sell seeds to growers or farmers. We sell them to garden centers and nurseries and our wholesale division and to home gardeners. And our website is oriented toward home gardeners. So we sell seeds and knowledge about how to grow them and how to succeed with them with a lot of support. We have lots of photos. And the main thing that differentiates my company is we don't sell anything that we haven't grown. So we have a big trail garden here in Felton and we have another one in Vermont. So all our packet instructions are based on our own experience.
1: Where do you get the seeds that you you know that you try out?
2: Well let's say I am looking for almost I try to buy things from their country of origin. So mm-hmm. most all our basils we sell about 18 different kinds of basil. Mm-hmm. come from all the green ones come from Italy and the Thai basil comes from Thailand and, yeah. and so on. So we get a lot of eggplants from Italy. We get a lot of um, brassicas from Korea and Japan where they eat a lot. So we try to find things where they are, there are most varieties and they're most diverse.
1: And so once you've, you've identified something that you, you know, you want to sell, what sort of arrangement do you, do you have a, a distributor in the, the, you know, vegetables, home country. I mean, how do you, how do you get the seeds?
2: Okay. Well, every year, there's a big meeting, an international meeting. Uh They usually happen in the U S and it moves around and there's probably around a thousand seed growing companies from all over the world that come to it. I see. And it's like a five day speed dating experience. So you meet (laughs) with, um, I literally, you literally have 12 or 15 meetings over a day with different seed producers and that is a specialized industry so for example i work very closely with the company in the czech republic for a lot of vegetables so we meet with them and they show us what they're working on and what new varieties they have and i make sure that all the things i already selected from them are still available and i tell them what i'm looking for yeah. for example little snack peppers you know the little sweet peppers that are yellow yeah. and orange and Red and that you red, see in yeah. Supermarkets yeah. To the supermarkets, it's in a bag. Yep. So I tell them, well, I'm looking for more colors of that or sweeter ones. And so it's an interactive meeting. And then they send samples. We grow them out. And the ones we like, we place purchase orders. Then they send the seeds in bulk quantities, usually by air freight, in large quantities, sometimes by ship. We receive them in our warehouse and we fill them in packets. I receive it in bulk and break them into packets. So most seed packets are printed here in the US. And I mm-hmm. write the packets and provide uh-huh. all the packets.
1: Huh. Uh, so these companies that you're buying the seeds from, uh, how do they know what? How do they decide what kinds of seeds to grow? I mean, I'm well, just I'm sort of uh, curious about how you know this sort of matching takes place. Do they try to grow special varieties? to match what you're looking for? Or are you looking at what they have available um, and then decide, so, yes, I want that?
2: Well, the home garden seed business, which I am part of, is a relatively small amount of business for a large seed companies. So yeah, sure. the Czech Republic is mostly selling seeds to farmers and large growers. Mm-hmm. And people in Western Europe eat very similar with certain special. But check people eat cucumbers and tomatoes and cabbage and cauliflower and peppers, you know, too. So they're developing and they and they sell a lot of seeds to, to China and Russia as well and as well as all the other old Eastern Bloc com- countries. So they're developing a whole range and they have certain specialties. So I'm buying what they sell to a wide range of customers. There are not many seed producing companies that only make seed uh, for home garden. Yeah. There are exceptions to what I just told you. There are a lot of small, wonderful companies that grow their own seed and save it and then regrow it and they have local seed and so on. But if you're going to, you know, we fill 50 or 60,000 orders a year, so I can't afford to buy a pound of tomato seed. I need 10 pounds of tomato seed or 2,000 pounds of corn or whatever. So you have to buy from companies that are producing in the right place with a lot of science so there's no seed borne disease and the seed has good germ and is pure and so on so i buy from recognized people whose business it is only to breed and produce seeds
1: mm-hmm. well what are the differences between let's see heirlooms hybrids hybrids and open pollinator seed varieties
2: well uh an heirloom seed is a variety of seed that's more than 50 years old mm-hmm. So. You and I are heirlooms, but uh, all heirlooms are also open pollinated, which means that the, the seeds are pollinated either by some plants like tomatoes are self pollinating. In other words, they have male and female exchange um, the necessary components right on the plant or they're pollinated by wind like corn seed or by insects, which is why bees are so important. The bees move mm-hmm. the pollen around. And therefore, if uh, it's open pollinated and you save the seed, you can plant it again and you'll get exactly the same thing. If if it's properly spaced from another similar variety, Mm -hmm. A a hybrid variety is what a lot of modern vegetables are. That simply means that you choose a male. Let's say you decide you're going to make a tomato hybrid and you want one that is, you take a male that may have, you save the male parts of the flower that uh, you put the one variety in a greenhouse, and you emasculate, and and you save only the female flowers, and then you introduce the male, um, uh, you you get the male flowers from another variety, so you, Mm -hmm. you hand pollinate them, but the reason to do it is let's say you want a variety that's extremely disease resistant, mm-hmm. um, is deep red and, um, tastes really good. And you, you get some of the qualities from one parent and some of the qualities from another parent and you cross them to make a cross. And those, um, new tomatoes like early girl, better boy, sun gold, little golden cherries, um, they will produce seeds, but they won't make the same cross. You have to artificially make the cross each time. So hybrid varieties are cre- are, are created um, and they don't come true from seed. You would, if you planted the seeds of a sun gold tomato, you would get many tomatoes, but they wouldn't necessarily have attributes that you cross them for in the first time. So, most a lot of vegetables that you buy in the supermarket and and, and for that matter uh in, in farmers markets for fruiting varieties are hybrids.
1: And are, are those hybrids patented then?
2: No, not particularly. Patenting doesn't really happen much with vegetables. It's uh-huh. more, more ornamental plants.
1: Oh I see. Okay. Um so what what is most what you know for the home gardener. Are there advantages to these different kinds of um, seeds?
2: Well, it depends. So heirlooms or or open pollinated heirloom or open pollinated seeds that are older heirlooms. So some of the older varieties, particularly with tomatoes, have wonderful stories and interesting colors. Mm-hmm. But they're not they're not particular. They weren't hybridized across with Varieties that had good shelf life, for example, which can be a good thing, but also means that they don't last very long and they split and they're not, they weren't bred for disease resistance. Most hybrids are uh, crossed for variety with one of the selected parents has good disease resistance. So
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, it depends. So, for example, here on the coast, there's a very famous heirloom tomato called Brandywine, which is revered for its intense flavor but it only tastes that way as good as that and produces well if you're in a climate where tomatoes really do well, because that's where it's from. That's where it was developed. So if you're in a hot, humid climate, you can't beat brandywine. brandy wine, but here on the coast, they crack and they don't taste as good and they can be disease prone. So it depends. Heirlooms are good in the, really good in the areas they were first selected in. They may or may not be good in a home garden, and it's worth experimenting because there's a tremendous diversity. But some plants, I always grow hybrid uh, brassicas or coal crops because they mature earlier and they're more resist- disease resistant. So I would say for a home gardener, both are fine.
1: Both are fine. Okay. Um, is there any, are there any issues with genetically engineered varieties?
2: No, there are no genetically engineered varieties in the home garden market. There will probably never be because okay. our customers don't want them, wouldn't buy them. Mm-hmm. We would yes. all have to sign our life away to even offer them. They're very expensive. Uh, it's, just, it's just not part of our marketplace.
1: So uh, you mentioned, you mentioned, just mentioned about, uh, you know, growing heirloom tomatoes in the places where they were. Uh, originally bred and or selected know,
2: you know they weren't selected. really bred they were, they were selected. more selected.
1: Uh uh-huh. well you know we've got lots of microclimates on the california coast and some things grow better in some places than others and so how do gardeners determine what will grow best in their particular location or how can they
2: well you know a lot of it is just kind of where you are for example i think i'm in Felton, above Santa Cruz. So, if you live in Santa Cruz, you know you have cool nights and cool weather compared to inland. So, you're going to look for a tomato that can stand up, you know, cooler weather. You're not going to be able to do, grow all those heirlooms that like it hot, humid. Uh, so, it depends on looking for the right varieties for your for your weather climate. On the other hand, if you pick the right time of year. For leafy greens you can grow almost any leafy green if you if you grow them in the right weather so fruity vegetables have more requirements than leafy greens
1: so what grows well in uh, in this area
2: well just about everything we live in an <laughs> absolute paradise and for anyone who is thinking of trying to grow a garden who hasn't done it before a really great way to start is with a little salad garden uh-huh. our coastal climate obviously not in the hills where it gets to be 100 degrees, midsummer is not the time to start a salad garden. They want to be started in spring and then when the weather cools down. But in Santa Cruz, for example, or right along the coast, you can grow salads just about year round. So salads and herbs are a really good place to start.
1: You know, I've, for, for I don't know how long, for, as long as I've been in California, I've, I've heard people say, well, it's difficult to grow tomatoes here. And I know we have varieties now that will grow in this kind of weather, but uh, is that is that the case, or am I just repeating an old uh, an old myth?
2: Well, I guess I wouldn't have to use you when you say here. I mean, when well, I'm, you, on where are you I, I'm on campus.
1: I'm on campus, sorry, but I mean lower lower alt, uh, altitudes, not you know places that don't get that have fog in the summer, that get foggy. Um,
2: I would say, the, well, first of all, you can buy dry farm tomatoes there and there's no reason to ever try to grow your own when you can get dry farm tomatoes because i don't think there's anything better in the whole world um but if you wanted to grow tomatoes along the coast you would want to choose varieties that can handle cooler weather Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: there are a handful one of the best known perhaps is sun gold they're they're a commercial variety too they're the little golden cherries Mm -hmm. that'll do well early girl does well along the coast. Um, Supiche. I mean, you just go to the local garden centers who will give you some guidance. Uh, okay. Or so, you can simply uh, grow broccoli and cabbage and lettuce and so on and trade with someone who lives in Felton and gets great tomatoes.
1: Aren't those that seasons, are, are those seasons coincident? I mean, I thought that the the greens were more winter crops and the tomatoes more summer crops.
2: Well, California has so many different climates but right i'm usually 20 here in felton i'm usually 20 or 30 degrees warmer than in santa cruz right. i don't yeah. get much fog right. so yeah. my glowing conditions are different i can grow perfectly fine tomatoes mm-hmm. it would be you'd have to choose a cold tolerant or fog tolerant variety down in santa cruz but in santa cruz because it's mild you can grow lots of things year round it's really very easy to grow almost anything
1: Wow. Okay. Okay. So um, one of the things we we did talk about was um, what could people plant right now uh, that would be ready for September and October?
2: Well, we're talking right right after 4th of July. Mm -hmm. So you could plant now some gorgeous, colorful, pollinator-friendly zinnias. Uh, We sell 18 different colors. You could certainly plant sunflowers, and sunflowers come beside the yellow petaled ones. They come bicolored, doubles, reds, all kinds of those would produce a nice crop. Uh, you could plant another planting of basil now uh, or parsley. You could grow cucumbers. The only thing you knew you could, if you planted right away, you could get a, a large, a large variety of summer vegetables. You could do another planting of zucchini or you could still plant a little winter squash. You could not from seed plant tomatoes, peppers, and eggplants, simply because they take a long time to mature and there wouldn't be enough time. And yeah. anything that can mature before, let's say November, you can still plant. Now, if we were talking in New York, I wouldn't say that, but in California, we have a very long season. So if you started in the shade, in a container, you could still plant some salads.
1: Uh huh. What else?
2: And it depends. I usually start with, "What would you like to eat?" And then we'll work on what you can grow based on what you want to eat. If we're talking vegetables and flowers, what are your favorite colors? And what do you want the flowers for—bouquets, pollinators, and so on?
1: Well, so I live on on the at the base of campus uh, in Santa Cruz, and and the campus is usually about five. When it gets sunny, about five to eight degrees warmer than downtown um so it 's somewhere in between you know the the wharf and i guess uh felton what would be you know what would be good for me to grow if I decided to do it
2: well i i'm sorry i'm going to be a little bit argumentative to say what do you like to eat it, 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 there's a chicken and egg, but I usually oh, yeah. <laughs> like what do you well would you I could say, okay, you could start some, let, let me think, some, this is actually too late to start this, but radicchio, and you you would never grow that because you don't like it very much. So
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
2: it only makes sense if you plant things you enjoy. So you could still plant some green beans if you wanted to, some cucumber. I don't know what you like to eat.
1: Well, I like tomatoes, and it's too late, right? Basically. Uh, you, could
2: still, you could still go down to any of the most wonderful nurseries we have in Sacramento and buy a plant.
0: Oh,
1: okay. okay.
2: It is too late to start them from seed.
1: Mm hmm.
2: But there's a lot, you know, but there's a lot of things you could still enjoy. Do, do you use fresh herbs?
1: Can can um, people go online to your to your website and, you know, find out about all these kinds of things?
2: Yes, we have a full service website at renee'sgarden.com. dot com. We have garden resources. We have probably 60 or 80 videos which we make in our trial garden. Mm, and we've got wow. lots of articles uh-huh. and we have a lot of, we sell about a thousand varieties of seed and it is organized. So if you want to go salads there's salad selections, and there's Asian varieties. We sell a tremendous amount of flowers. So the goal that you can achieve in Santa Cruz, that not that many places can, is you can actually plant a garden and go out in it and decide what you're going to eat based on what's growing. So you can really become much more independent um, in your food choices and get a lot of pleasure out of it. You can support an ecology in your backyard that feeds all kinds of wildlife and supports pollinators. And you can have more birds that way, too. And it can just be a delightful environment. And you and you don't have to go to the store that much. Mm. That's the goal.
0: Uh-huh. Wow. So you
2: could also do it by cuisine. I like Mexican food. Okay. I'm going to go with vegano and I'm going to go cilantro and tomatoes and peppers. And, you know, tom- tomatillos. you know, it depends what you, what you enjoy. Cooking.
1: Um, well, let me, let me shift, shift the topic a little bit here. Um, how important do you think home gardens are in terms of, uh, food su- the country's food supply or, you know, California's food supply?
2: Well, um, Seed companies that sell seeds for home gardeners during the pandemic, on the average, increased 150% sales, if that wow. tells you anything. So That's, I think, sort of. And in an era of superinflation and higher costs, most people want to be a little more self-sufficient and mm-hmm. self-reliable, self-reliant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm and not depend on the food system.
1: Mm-hmm. And in
2: Santa Cruz, you can really do that.
1: And, and what about elsewhere?
2: Elsewhere too, but, but certainly in Santa Cruz because of the long growing season. I mean, most people do it because it gives them pleasure, meaning, and satisfaction. Mm-hmm. In some, mm-hmm. And, and I, think it's a, I think that people really enjoy growing things. It's a natural cycle that you can be part of. Mm-hmm. And it makes you happy.
1: Mm-hmm. So there are therapeutic therapeutic reasons to be a gardener, as well as
2: uh, you know, you know nutritionally. I've, I, um, I've been a gardener for so long, and it's such a focus of my life to kind of stay, stand back and say, well, what are the good things about doing something that is integral to who I am? It's really hard for me to step back. It gives meaning to life. It makes you part of nature. Um, it's fun. It's great exercise. It's beautiful. You create a beautiful environment. Uh, you encourage world wildlife. Um, there's no negatives.
1: No, I suppose there aren't. Uh, what happened that we talked about that you might like to, to talk about?
2: Oh, well, I'd like to just encourage people to just start very small. Like I really like X, Y, or Z. Just try growing one or two things. You can have a lovely garden in large containers. We specialize in varieties, especially for containers. So Mm. we have varieties that are compact and developed for containers. So we have short tomatoes, zucchinis that don't spill out all over and vine all over. We have lots of lettuces that you can cut. You can grow like grass and then cut off and just eat the tops. Mm -hmm. So you can have five or six pots in your backyard and harvest a significant amount of really delicious things. And you can grow your own flowers, which is a, a delight and pleasure in, in every regard. So you just start small and it doesn't matter if everything works perfectly. Um, and ask other people. Gardening is something that you can learn from your friends and your neighbors and everyone's eyes light up because it's really fun and people love to share it. it it's a language that people can, you you know, if you talk gardening, you. It doesn't really matter who you are, where you came from, what your educational level is or anything. And it can make a real difference in people's lives. I like what I'm doing and have done it this long because it's a business that involves stories of hope and success. So we donate a lot of our outdated seats to like prison gardens, community gardens, school gardens. And there's so much positive things going on in those areas that... Um, you're just joining a network that's making the world a better place, and that's that's a great network to be a part of.
1: You you just mentioned that you 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 give uh, outdated seeds to various um, places. Is that you know seeds from the past season?
2: Yes, seeds mean? are like racehorses. Um, well, seeds are like racehorse racehorses. They have arbitrary birth dates. Uh-huh. so every year we pack seeds for eighteen months. That's the federal law. Does that mean they'll all die in 18 months? No, it's just the way the rule is because years ago, people used to buy a rack of seed, set it outside their drugstore, and sell it for 10 years. And of course, half the seed was dead by then. So there are many laws in place um, about minimum germination. So we have to retire the seasoned seeds at the end of the year. And then they become uh, donations um, mm-hmm. to a wide variety of causes, both here and abroad.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Um,
2: so we skipped a lot to food deserts, places that don't have access to food, empty lots. I mean, it's unbelievable all the ways people make use of them. It gives me great pleasure and satisfaction to correspond no, with them. So it's, it's something very positive in a world that seems very negative. Growing, you know, Voltaire said, well, when all else fails, there's always the garden. And it's true. There's, it's always a positive.
1: Well, okay. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to talk about, or there's nothing else that I would like to ask at this point.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I think I've just chattered away. It's just a lot of, it's a lot of fun. And then you get to, it's a lot of fun and then you get to eat
1: eat it. it. Right, right. Yeah. Um,
2: But I grow as many flowers as I do vegetables and I get a lot of pleasure and you're tying your you're handing yourself back in history to people who have been enjoying the same thing as you for hundreds of years Uh,
1: but are people is it possible to come and visit your test garden
2: uh no because we're in a residential neighborhood in felton but we donate a lot of seeds to ucsc and to oh no i know that
1: yeah every year so
2: a lot of what they do i think UCSC's farm and garden um, is where I got a lot of inspiration from and I would encourage people to visit those gardens because they're wonderfully inspiring and they still give good classes and we have a wonderful program at, at Cabrillo and they do outreach as well and we are we are blessed to have really good nurseries um, in Santa Cruz that can help you get started.
1: Well, Okay. I think that's about it. So I want to thank you, Renee, for being my guest on Sustainability Now.
2: Oh well, it was really fun. I I am an avid listener, and I've enjoyed. I don't know if my interview is going to be as interesting as some of the ones you've done, which I've really enjoyed the program. So thank you for having me.
1: Well, you're welcome. And and where where should people go to look to to learn more about uh, Renee's Garden?
2: Uh, it's Renee's Garden. R E N E E S. G-A-R-D-E-N, reneesgarden.com. But our seeds are sold at all the garden centers in town. Um, you can find them there as well. And throughout okay. the country. We, we sell mm-hmm. our seeds all over the country and in, and in Canada.
1: Again, thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And thanks to all the staff and volunteers who make K-Squid your community radio station and keep it on the air. And so until next, every other Sunday, sustainability now. Inch by inch, row by
0: row, gonna make this garden grow. Gonna mulch it deep and low, gonna make it fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row, please bless these seeds I sow. Please keep them safe below till the rains come tumbling down. Pulling weeds, picking stones, we are made of dreams and bones. Need a spot to call my own for the time is close at hand. Rain for grain, sun and rain Find my way in nature's chain Tune my body and my brain To the music of the land Inch by inch, row by row Gonna make this garden Normal chip mulch it deep it and low Gonna make, make it, it fertile ground Inch by inch, row by row Please bless these seeds I sow Please keep them safe below Till, till the rains come tumbling down Plant your row with a cheerful song Mother Earth will make you strong If you give her loving care Old crow watching from a tree Got his hungry eye on me In my garden I'm as free As that feathered thief up there Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. Gonna mulch it deep and low, gonna make it fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row, please bless these seeds I sow. Please keep them safe below till the rain come tumbling down.